Welcome everybody to Between the Lines, the podcast from Jewish Quest. My name is Simon Eder, and I'm joined each week by a special guest to help deconstruct that week's parasha, exploring exciting new insights and ever new meaning in the Torah. And this week, we of course explore Vayera, and to do that with us, it's a great pleasure to welcome Dr. Rabbi Zema Yoreh who is currently based in New York and is the leader of the City Congregation for Humanistic Judaism there in New York. He did his PhD in Bible, which he got from Hebrew University, as well as plenty of other accolades too. And he's the author of several books and most pertinent for our conversation really today. He's the author of Why Abraham Murdered Isaac revealed which is an ebook available on amazon rabbi zema a huge welcome to you thank you very wonderful. much it's great to have you and wonderful to explore only the fraught or probably the most fraught of all of the partial perhaps of absolutely can couldn't agree more <laughs> very good so Maybe to start with a small question of what you make of Abraham's silence at the Akedah. It's obviously so different to the Abraham that we know from elsewhere. And I wonder yeah. really what you make of that. Absolutely. So biblical stories are generally more action-packed than, than stories you'll find in modern literature. So you don't really hear lots about the motivations of the authors. There's a less... Uh, there's less dialogue than in a lot in lots of modern literature, and so it is. There is a lot of there's more mystery in the biblical text in general. But you're absolutely right that here the silence really stands out it's, as opposed to other stories about Abraham. So yes, and to elaborate on the different Abrahams that we find in biblical storytelling, we had in Parshat Lech Lecha, we had Abraham the warrior with, with the four kings against the five kings, and uh, and we have Abraham the intercessor in this parsha as well, in where he uh, intercedes for the people of Sodom and Amor. And here and here and also we have Abraham the opportunist, which is a little more. And we have that in chapter 20 in, in Rashid, and we have that in chapter 12, where he, he presents his wife as a sister, and then and then uh, for his own benefit, and then accrues lots of wealth in both instances. So really, lots of different Abrahams. But the silence of the Keda is particularly glaring, because it's, there's a command to sacrifice, which comes out of the blue, and we want context, the reader wants context, what's happening here? Why? Is Abraham being asked to sacrifice his son? What did he do to deserve that? Where, where it's out of the blue. And so lots and lots of commentators try to find the reason for that. They try to hypothesize what, what caused God to do that, what caused God to test Abraham, as it says in the text. Um, and there's not a lot to go on in the text itself. It says in the Hebrew, after these things or after these words. And so there's some commentators that will... Uh, hypothesize the dialogue or between Isaac and Ishmael or other dialogues, but but it's really it's glaring, it's mysterious, and it's <laughs> philosophers and thinkers for ages. Obviously, perhaps like one of the dangers is that so often we might encounter this story without reference to context, but obviously 
it happens within a particular context. And I wonder really what you make of that as important to forming the story itself and perhaps to put it in light of a response perhaps to maybe Sarah's cohabitation with Avi Melech to Isaac's birth like how is what is shaping the context important to the Akedah itself? Yeah so really my, my method of, of looking at the Hebrew Bible really I try to find the reasons for things in the text itself like now, the Midrash is, uh, of course, uh, hypothesizes quite a bit around what preceded the Akedah, what were the reasons for it. But but I think that, that one searches, uh, the, the, your first avenue of search should be the text itself. And say, for example, for for the commentator Rashbam, for example, he hypothesized that the reason the reason for Abraham being tested was that he made a deal over the division of the land with with Avin that and. He was promised the land uh, in the as a whole, and then he says he ha- makes a pact with Avimelech, and that uh, and that pact is and that pact is something that he shouldn't have done, and so this is a kind of punishment for that. And that was Rashbam. Rashbam rarely uses midrash, and here we see him using midrash, but he's really going to he's going to the text itself, and that's been my avenue as well. And so I looked. I also looked at the midrash. There are a, a few uh, very interesting midrashim. Around around Isaac's birth, a trope that we find repeated in a number of places is that Abraham that Isaac looked exactly like Abraham, and that the reason for that was that there was a worry about Abraham about Isaac's paternity, and and so some some interesting put it more explicitly, some less explicitly that the re, you know the reason is obvious. He had remained in the house of Imelech and and. One would have been worried, lest we. It says explicitly in chapter twenty-one that Isaac was the son of Abraham, but the midrash recognized that uh, you still could have thought otherwise, and that—that's the uh, that was my the first station for me. And then I looked very closely at the in chapter twenty-one where Isaac is born, and it says that it emphasizes so many times. That Isaac was Abraham's son, and I, it's, for me, it's a case of the lady doth protest too much. Meaning, it's uh, the text is protesting too much that Abra, you know, that Isaac was Abraham's son. Meaning, we could have understood otherwise, and 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 so that's what the midrash is, of course, drawing upon. It's, uh, the midrash is drawing upon that as well, and of course, it's the text is especially worried because that story, the birth of Isaac, appears right after the, the, the time where where Sarah was in Avimelech's house, and we're we're told explicitly, of course, in chapter twenty that Avimelech did not uh, cohabit, did not have sexual relations with Sarah, but at, uh, despite it being explicit, there was still a worry that we could have thought that. And especially, this is especially in light of chapter 12, in the beginning of Parshat Lech Lecha, where there is an equivalent story in which it is heavily implied that Pharaoh had sexual relations with Sarah, the first iteration of this story in which Abraham presents his wife as a sister, because he, Sarah, ends up in in Pharaoh's house, and Abraham receives many gifts, of course, so it seems, it's implied that Pharaoh got his worth from his perspective. And Rashi, for example, is so worried about that, that he says that, drawing on the Midrash, he, he says that Pharaoh had a disease and could not consummate. 
meaning they, that's the implication over there. And that's a trope that's explicit in chapter 12. And, and, then, and then in chapter 20, when we get to chapter 20, because it's so close to Isaac's birth, the text goes out of its way to say, no, this did not happen. But if you look at the text closely, that, is, that might be what we, a contradiction. Because the word in Hebrew that's used when Avimelech takes Sarah is lakach. And lakach in the context of a man taking a woman is so very often sexual relations. And we're left with a little bit of an X and minus X. And that's the, I would say, important parts of the background. And so to ignore that in the context of the Akedah, I think we do so a bit at our peril. And what I what I saw it as is that um, I, in the, I search for original stories. I, for, for, I do biblical criticism. And I, I, I isolated a version of the story in chapter 20 of Breshit that in which it is still it's implied and heavily implied that Sarah did have sexual relations with Sarah, uh, or Sarah did have sexual relations with Avimelech. And what does that mean for the story? It means that Isaac is a problem for the story. Isaac is a, is an, it's a problem that has to be resolved in some way. And the resolution comes in during the Akedah. But back to really, I start the story as you can tell, in chapter 20. So that's, for me, uh, the Akedah starts two chapters earlier. And for me, I the Akedah is the culmination of a story that I attribute to some, something called the Elohistic source. So in this Elohistic source, in E, the Abraham, what, the point that's most emphasized in this story, the theology of this source, it focuses on Yerat Elohim, the fear of God. And so when Avimelech, when Abraham gives Sarah Avimelech, it's a, a he is not fearing God. He is he is not trusting in God to save him in this kind of context, and and he states that explicitly. He says, "There's no fear of God in this place, and they will you will kill me because of my wife." But in fact, it's clear that Avimelech and his household did fear God, and it was Abraham who didn't fear God. And, and so Abraham has to be punished for this in, in the version of the story that I am suggesting. And the vehicle for the punishment is, of course, Isaac, who is, it's not clear whether he is Abraham's son or Avimelech's son. And so in a in poetic justice, the, the result of the crime is the way to expiate for the crime. And so Abraham ends up sacrificing his son in chapter 22 in expiation. So just picking up on that, uh, yeah. we've already had the spoiler alert really from, from the title of your ebook. But why Abraham murdered Isaac revealed? You've already shared perhaps one revelation with us questioning Isaac's lineage from Abraham. There's then this, this second revelation, which is perhaps, and I and look forward to understanding how you derive your conclusions, but this idea that perhaps indeed Isaac was sacrificed and then how you construct that from the text. Absolutely. So for me, the point of departure is verse 19 in chapter 22. It's Abraham returning alone from, from the mountain in the land of Moriah, when before in verses 6 and 8, it was emphasized that he walked with Isaac. And so that that points me and points the Midrash, I would say. The Midrash has is a very rich decision that Shalom Spiegel, in his book, The Last Trial, talks about extensively um, about, about the 
Isaac being sacrificed. And I think the key there is that verse. The other, for me, the other, I would say, big point is that is Isaac, the Isaac appearing elsewhere in the biblical story. What are the stories that we have about Isaac elsewhere? And if you look, we don't actually have that much about Isaac elsewhere. We have one main chapter of stories that focus on Isaac, and that is chapter 26. And most of those stories are stories that are just repetitions of the stories that were that happened with Abraham. There's stories about wells. There's a story very similar to the story that I talked about, chapter 20, where he presents Rebecca as his sister instead of his wife. And then there's a pact with Abimelech, just, just like his father. And then the the other stories about Isaac really focus on Jacob and Esau. It's not those are he's not the main character in 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 those stories. And so Really, there's only really one chapter about him. And that chapter seems to be really reusing themes that that existed in the stories around Abraham. And the hypothesis is not, this is not mine. This is other biblical scholars hypothesize that this, this is later. This was a later permutation. This is a later literary expansion of the book of Genesis. And, and so really, we don't see a lot of Isaac. Isaac is sandwiched between two main patriarchs, between Abraham and, and Jacob. And if you look at the story at chapter 26, the main chapter about Isaac, you can see that the name of God that's used there, among other signifiers, is the Tetragrammaton. And for biblical critics, the names of God, of course, have import and point to specific authors. And, and so there's really extraordinarily little material that ties this Elohistic, this E version of, of the of the Torah stories to Isaac. Beyond chapter 22, it doesn't seem that there's any material about Isaac in E. And so that, that was the other main point. So where is, we have Abraham, we have Jacob, but there's nothing about Isaac in E after chapter 22. He just doesn't exist. Um, and so the, the implication then is, so what happened to him? So he was probably sacrificed. And then the third point that I would say is that it's if you look at verse 12, when the angel calls out, he says, you have not spared, it says, you have not spared your son, your only son for me. And read, if you, uh, one, one thing that biblical critics like to do is div- try to divorce something from context and see what does that mean. It's an, ex- it's an exercise that you do. You divorce a particular verse from the context, see what it could mean. And the, you have not spared, lo chasachta, implies that lo chasachta, you actually went through, went through. And so those are, the, I would say, some of the key, key indicators for me that the original storyline was, was one which Isaac was sacrificed. Of course, I'm not the first or the only one who suggests this. I think my innovation here is to try to tie it to the story in general, maybe to try to find the lost beginning, as it were, to the story. There are the worst scholars before me who said this in a whole midrash, rich Midrashic tradition that, that hypothesized it. Thank you for sharing such important remarks. Maybe finally, just to dwell on source criticism. And just your perspective on how different narratives within the text can be deciphered through this method. And then just overall, a kind of reflection on the different motivations behind them. And then obviously in this, in the overarching, perhaps the editorship or the overarching construction, how such radically different narratives can coexist and, yes, and what, we, what yeah. we make of that absolutely so 
the tools of biblical criticism from their inset from the inception from from the like the early 19th century are discovering what the discovering new storylines through contradictions repetitions different styles and isolating them and trying to find the coherence within those within the the text that you isolate and there's a good deal of variation between schools of authorship over here i am i uh, adhere to the supplementary uh, hypothesis which uh, posits uh, a base text which was expanded uh, over the years and into the text we have today other other scholars of course have adhere to the documentary model which talk about four documents being combined at various times uh, into one text and so I think the, the what's so important about the about the about biblical criticism and source criticism in general is the, the what it can what new what it explains about the text that we did not know before. If you look at the Torah and you have a, a question about okay, what is this doing here? It seems to contradict something. How am I to explain it? And if you have the paradigm of biblical criticism, source criticism, you're able to explain these contradictions, uh, answer like, why do they exist? And th this is what exactly what I was trying to do over here. I was going, I was looking at, it says that Abraham returned alone. What does that mean? It says, it emphasizes many times in the text that Abraham was Isaac's father. Of course he was Isaac's father. Why do they emphasize it so many? It's a, the, those kinds of questions are answered by source criticism. It, provides you with new insight into the text. And that insight would not be available to you if you did not have the tools of modern biblical scholarship. And so that's why it's more important. Now there's obviously disagreement among Bible scholars, and not everyone accepts my reading of Bakida Yitzhak, to say the least. But it is what I have, and others don't, is explanatory power. Meaning people could offer other solutions over here, but it will not explain what I can explain about the dynamics in the text. And I, in this particular instance, I think it's a good indication that my my hypothesis is the way to go with with the Abraham stories, if not in other places. But that's a that's always a matter of debate. Thank you for sharing the wonderful debate that no doubt continues for generations to come as we absolutely pour over the text so really thank you for joining us thank you for sharing your insights and my pleasure we do look forward to welcoming you back perhaps to speak about ever so slightly less fraught and difficult oh yeah of course and i like just to, you read this story on the torah.com and that's just a very awesome website and I, I just to promote it i've been contributing to it for nine years already it's really it's really uh, a, a resource for, for people to look at the Jewish angle at modern biblical scholarship. No, for the, of course, fantastic. And of course, right to, to plug it. And plenty of plenty of our podcasters have also written there. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And do, of course, check out more of our exciting content at jewishquest.org and we look forward to meeting again next week where we shall be exploring Chaye Sarah with Professor Firestone and looking at Abraham uh, from a Jewish as well as an Islamic perspective. Mm -hmm.